This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. The reason it's important to do this series is to remind us that in our time, demonic activity has gone to warp speed in the West. You are seeing the absence of everything that is pure and good with the return of demonic forces, you are seeing a rise at a rapid pace of evil, what the Bible calls evil, what Jesus says is evil. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hey there, welcome back to Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron. This week, Pastor Jeff started a new series about being under the influence, under the influence of culture and the influence of evil. In this message, he continues looking at Ephesians chapter 6 and explaining some of the deeper meaning found in the original language and the time it was written. Let's finish this first message in the series now with Pastor Jeff. I want to read to you something that Jesus taught in Matthew 12. This is what he said in verse 43. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. So if you see what Jesus is saying, and this is Jesus talking, it is not enough to cast out the spirits. The house, the vessel, the nation, the generation must be occupied by something else. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus leaves his home in heaven. He overpowers the demonic forces, defeats sin and death once and for all. The Roman Empire and Western civilization comprised of the house of spirits. My goodness, if you know anything about Greek mythology, going all the way back down even to the, when the Israelites came into the promised land, you've got all these false gods, these demonic forces that are tolerated. But when Jesus comes, he impacts the Roman Empire, the Western world, and suddenly into that house where demonic forces are now swept clean, The Spirit of God, the gospel, comes into the lives and begins to transform one person after the next, and the gospel spread like wildfire. And everything in the West changed. Again, this is historically verifiable because of the Jesus movement. People stopped sacrificing their children on molten altars. Now, I didn't say everyone, but there was a great movement in the Jesus movement to protect the lives of the innocent, something that you will not see before the Jesus movement. People began treating women equally because Jesus said there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, bond or slave, we're all one in Christ. Men and women stopped throwing deformed children into the rivers, consider them to be waste because it was decided because of the Jesus movement that we are created in the image of God and all life needs to be respected because it's a gift from God. Families began respecting one another and living not merely for themselves, but for the family unit because the Jesus movement taught us that the family unit and the strength of the family is the key to culture and to success. The sick were no longer discarded because they were ill. The disease were no longer put out of the city. Hospitals, places 
almost out of the earth began to rise up and to, rather than to discard people who were ill, who had disease, even if it was terminal, even if it was contagious, suddenly because of the Jesus movement, you had groups of people, Christ followers, taking care of the sick, even at the cost of their own lives. The Ten Commandments actually began to govern most societies in the West, either indirectly by influence or directly because of belief. Now, did society always get it right? No. Were there still sinful, perverted, debaucherous people in the West? Of course, absolutely. But the Jesus movement pushed back the immorality and began transforming culture from the inside out. So, Jesus came. He drove out spirits. It became possible for Jesus to live within the hearts of men and women. That is the message of the gospel. But listen carefully. In Matthew 8, on one particular occasion, we're told that when Jesus arrived at the other side in the region of Gardenus, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent and no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. Now, most of us know this story, but notice in the first parable in Matthew 12, if the spirit finds no rest, they seek to return to a house to possess it or repossess it. When Jesus casts out demons in the second story, the spirits pleaded with him to cast them into the pigs. Now, what does that tell you? It tells you that the spirits are parasitic. They need a host to possess. So the spirits that were cast out of Western culture because of the Jesus movement, because of Jesus coming on the inside to transform us from the inside out. And of course, the Bible says he causes it to rain on the righteous and the unrighteousness. Because of the righteous movement, even the unrighteous were affected. Culture began to thrive. And all of, you know, that, that's, that's not rocket science again when you have the Jesus movement teaching you to be honest and to have in integrity and character and to treat your brother, to love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, society's gonna be better. Of course, it's gonna be stronger. So the Jesus movement sweeps across the Western world. But when Jesus is eradicated, according to what Jesus teaches, the spirits are eradicated to the fringes. Relegated is a better word to the fringes. They're still in the universe but they don't have the power and the sway over a nation or a culture or a movement where Jesus dominates the hearts of men and women. Now, the question is, what happens when Jesus is expelled out of those hearts of men and women? And the answer, of course, according to Jesus would be, the demonic forces see that there's an opportunity to return, the house has been swept clean, and now they think it's their right to occupy it so that the possession is deeper and more intense now than it was in the beginning. Let's be very clear about what I'm saying here. Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. The demonic forces are subject to him, no doubt. His followers took the gospel to the West and relegated the forces of evil to the fringes or the secret places. Judeo-Christianity swept the house clean and invited Jesus to occupy the hearts and souls of men everywhere. However, since the turn of the last century, the Jesus movement has been attacked on every side. The hearts and souls of men have expelled Christ and his kingdom from their midst. That Christ himself has been kicked out of the social and political arena. That he has been ridiculed in places of higher education. And as a result, what I'm saying to you, according to what Jesus taught, 
the spirits have found the house empty and have returned stronger than ever before. And I know to a lot of people in the world that will sound insane. Even to some people in our own church, they'll say, boy, Pastor Jeff, what happened to you over the last few weeks? Well, nothing. I'm simply trying to express to you, this is not new. And it's important that you understand the message of Ephesians 6.12 and what Jesus taught about demonic forces. So when you look out into culture and you see children killing children, you see mass shootings, you see genocides, you see sexual immorality. You see debauchery. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, we've seen that in every generation. I know that. But it seems to me that the more we've eradicated Judeo-Christian values, the more these demonic forces have been able to come in and wreak havoc on humanity. It's more prevalent and it's out in the open. What used to be shameful and hidden is now out in the open and celebrated. As I take you on this journey, please hear me. I need to remind you of two quick things. The first is this, and let me, use, let me use the Starbucks example. Now, hold on tight here. Most of you know I don't like Starbucks coffee, so you're gonna say you're picking on them. Well, let me give you an example and a warning. If you look at a Starbucks cup, you will see a figure on their branding. Now, who is this? Well, the answer to that is, and you, know, you can go Google and get 20 different answers, but if you go to the source, you will discover that this is Lilith. Now, I'm not talking about uh, Lilith on Fraser or on Cheers. Lilith is a name that represents an entire category of demons. You find in the Old Testament in one reference, but all through mythology. Lilith is the sex god who is sexually wanton and she roams through the night to steal newborn babies. That's who she is. I find it interesting there's a nonprofit organization dedicated to raising funds for emergency abortions, and they've decided to name themselves the Lilith Fund. Interesting, isn't it? Lilith, who is sexually wanton, who is a demon, who comes in the night and steals newborn babies. So why then is Lilith on the cup of Starbucks? Now, the answer is, I don't know. It would be foolish for me to say that the owners of Starbucks research Lilith and that's what they want. I think that's very highly unlikely, although possible. But I don't want to say something that I don't know. But that's not my point anyway. My point is this, that if demonic forces that have been relegated to the fringes are now making their way back in, they are going to infiltrate the hearts and minds of people and use unwilling people for their own purposes. I do know, what I do know is that Starbucks is a big supporter of any and all abortion and that they actually pay all the travel expenses for abortion and gender-affirming procedures when the services are not available within 100 miles. Here's what I do know and what I want you to understand. If the demonic forces that have been relegated to the fringes are returning, then you would expect to see a few things. You would expect to see signs and symbols exemplifying the gods of old. Now, hear me when I say, am I saying you all should stop drinking Starbucks? Well, yeah, but just because it's bad coffee. It has nothing to do with what I'm trying to say is, I don't know the motivations, but I do know that if, these, if the spirit world, the demonic forces, if it's real, and according to the Apostle Paul, it's very real, then signs and symbols exemplifying the return of these gods would be prevalent all around us. To think that signs and symbols are not important to the gods is foolish. From Asherah's poles to sacred altars to demonic signs, 
These things we should expect to reappear at an alarming speed back into the Western civilization as the gods plant their flags in the places they think belong to them as they have returned sevenfold. Now, this is not to say that every sign that is chosen is chosen on purpose by those who want to display it with the direct intent of identifying with what is evil and corrupt. That's not what I'm saying. But as we've seen in Ephesians 6, the demonic forces work in and through those who are blinded by the God of this world and who are not protected by the Spirit of Christ. Remember what we said in Ephesians 6. You have these three tiers, the strata, the rulers, the power. Then you've got these world forces, and he mentions forces of wickedness. The world forces, the cosmocrators, has to do with planet Earth and terrestrial. So they need a host. And sometimes it's an unwilling host that is not protected by the spirit of the living God. That doesn't mean that you start to look around and think everything's possessed. Please, don't go that far. But you do need to understand that these demonic forces, the Judeo-Christian values having been shoved and pushed out, believe it is their right now to return from the fringes into the center stage and to wreak havoc on humanity. That's what you are seeing right now in the West. You are seeing the absence of everything that is pure and good with the return of demonic forces, you are seeing a rise at a rapid pace of evil. What the Bible calls evil, what Jesus says is evil. Now, here's the second thing. Although this series will wake us up to spiritual realities previously hidden, it's not designed to bring fear and trepidation. It's not designed for suddenly, oh, Pastor Jeff's gone all gloom and doom on us. It's the end of the world. The sky is falling. Well, that's absurd. And this is not about nostalgia. Here's another mid, middle-aged white man talking about how good the good old days used to be. No, we had problems then too. We've had problems for the last 150 years and beyond. I get that. This is not about politics. This is not about nostalgia. It's about what Jesus said. Watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. If Christ, listen, if Christ is in you, the house is occupied. You don't have anything to fear. Don't spend your time worrying if a demon has taken possession of you. Jesus said in Colossians 1.13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. When the devil shows up, he finds the house occupied and he doesn't like its occupant. That's why James said, resist the devil and he must flee. That's not the point of the series. The series is to show you that it is, however, dangerous to become presumptuous that you are totally free from any danger. Because if you do that, you'll become weak and lethargic in your spiritual disciplines. If you think it's life is not a battle and you just go with the flow and there are no spiritual disciplines in your life, then you can open up your life. You can open up your life to demonic influences that seek to take compartments in your spiritual house. You may not be possessed totally by them, but you can be under the influence. This is what I've been trying to tell you for some time. I got to visit my high school basketball coach not too long ago, and in one of those moments when everything got quiet, he looked over and said, Jeff, I'm proud of you. And that, you know, when you have a coach or a mentor or somebody you respect say that, it, it's, it's words of affirmation. Who doesn't want to hear that? And he said, let me tell you why I'm proud of you. Because you're successful. I thought, oh boy, where's he going with this? But Jeff, I'm not proud of the success. I'm proud because I know you've prepared to be successful. 
I'm prayered that you have the intestinal fortitude and the discipline in your life to go where you believe God's calling you. And I started thinking about that. You know what? I've had that all my life. Even playing sports. So it started out when I was young. I practiced, I practiced. I went to the gym, I trained. Sometimes it was a bit difficult, but I knew if I was gonna get to where I needed to go, I had to have these disciplines in my life. When I wanted to put on weight, a college coach said, if you're gonna play for us, you're gonna have to put on some weight. You have to get strong during the summer. I spent the whole summer drinking protein shakes and working out. I mean, I was working out trying to build bulk, do whatever it takes. And it, it was hard. I would have rather been out with my friends doing other things, but I knew this is what it took to be successful. Now, here's what I'm saying to you. What area of our lives impacts all the others? And the answer is discipleship. What does your spiritual workout look like? Because you're in a battle, man. And if you want to win this battle, there's got to be a posture of prayer in your life, a posture of scripture in your life, a posture of accountability in your life, and a posture of community. They have to be there. And that's why Paul says, do not give the devil a foothold to the church at Ephesus. You know what foothold is? You know, you know the word scabbard? You know what a scabbard is? A scabbard is, is the thing, it's called a sheath, the thing you put the sword in when it's resting. So your sword resides in a scabbard. He says, do not give the devil a scabbard. Do not give the devil any place on your body in your life to reside, to rest, to enter. Don't give him that space or place. Well, what does that mean? It means that your spiritual house has compartments to it. It means don't be segmentable. Don't say, I'm going to give Christ these compartments, but this one is off limits. This belongs to me. In doing that, basically you're saying or inviting Satan to come in and live. You say, well, I'm a good Christian. I just struggle with sex. Okay, that's the area he's going to attack. I'm a good Christian. I just struggle with money. Okay, that's the area. I'm a good Christian. I just struggle with anger. I'm a good Christian. I just struggle with bitterness. I struggle with language. Whatever it is, the Bible says, whatever you do, don't give him a foothold. Because if you're angry today, you'll kill tomorrow. If you're stealing small things today, tomorrow you'll be entitled. If you're using foul language today, tomorrow you'll be filled with profanity. If you're gossiping today, tomorrow you'll be slandering. In any area of your life that you give the devil a foothold tomorrow, he's going to take up residence. And we have to start the series this way because you're going to learn how the demonic forces have returned from the fringes. And the only way you will survive is if you stand firm. You have to resist spiritual atrophy. Exercise the disciplines of the spirit. Paul puts it like this, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And the way it's written in the original language is, put on the armor and keep on putting on the armor and keep on putting on the armor every day. One more time, if the totality of your spiritual exertion is one hour a week on Sunday, you will not make it. I don't know how much more clear I can be. The battle is constant and requires your full attention. And those who will survive will see the war as it is, a daily battle for survival, a posture of life, constantly setting your mind on the truth of Scripture. Remember what we talked about just quickly. We talk about it at least once a year, and that's James 1, 13 through 15. When tempted, no one can say, God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. The point of the passage is that Satan has the goods on all of us. 
The devil knows what compartment that you have kicked Christ out of in your life and you're living an impure, unholy life. Now you say, wait a minute, Pastor Jeff. How does he know? You said he wasn't omniscient. He's not knowing. He's just been watching you for a long, long time. He's not omnipresent, but he has a lot of scouts. And those scouts report back to the general. They know your weakness. Roaring like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, what, what's, what's up with that? What does a lion do? What, who does he look for? He looks for the weak link. He wants a fight, but not a, not a heavy one. So he looks for the weak one. He looks for the isolated one. And that's whom he chooses. He preys on the isolated. I'm telling you, according to scripture, his forces are always watching you. And if you don't have these spiritual disciplines in your life, and if you isolate yourself from accountability, from community, you're the weak link and he's after you. And the sad thing is when he attacks, you won't see it coming. And sometimes you'll still think you're safe. Think about the scenarios quickly. You start to have your devotions. Isn't it uncanny how many distractions will come at that moment? Do you think that's accidental? Your phone will ring. There'll be a knock on the door. One of your children will misbehave. You'll have a brain fog. You think that's incidental. Temptation comes. And it just so happens to come in your most weak area. And it's a full-on attack. You think that's coincidental? In Sunday morning, isn't it amazing how if you were going to Vegas, if you were going on vacation, you'd be up and about. Your mind would be sharp. You're ready to go. But because it's Sunday morning and time for church, isn't it amazing how many lies your brain tells you? Oh, just stay in bed. Oh, you don't need to go. You don't really need this. The traffic's going to be bad. The parking lot's going to be hard to get into. Isn't it? You think that's coincident? You don't think that there is an unseen world trying to get into your head. Revenge. Isn't it amazing how angry you can become almost wanting to really harm somebody? Where do you think that comes from? <laughs> it doesn't come from God. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give him a place to reside. You better determine now, before we begin this series, or as we begin it, you better determine now that you're in. Because the enemy is smarter than you, more organized than you, outnumbers you apart from Christ, more conniving than you, and does not underestimate you the way you do him. And unless you know who the enemy is, where he is, how he manifests himself, and what he can do, you'll have a difficult time defeating him. So as we go into the series, I'm asking you to pray, to get on your knees and pray, God, I want to wake up. I want to repent, rededicate, restore my devotion to you. Look, look, they say there are no atheists in foxholes. Why? Well, because there's a battle. The reason you and I are weak at prayer is because we really don't think we're in a war. If we knew what was just over the next hill coming after us, we would be people of prayer and Bible study and worship and reading because we'd fear for our lives. I'm asking you, make a decision today and pray. This is my prayer for this weekend. Pray that you would become spiritually awake, that God would open your eyes to areas in your life where you're already away from him, and then give you the courage to repent and come home so that together, as we go into the future, we can fight this battle together and be victorious. Father, I praise your name and thank you for the power of Ephesians 6, especially verse 12. I pray that although some of this may, may seem so different or far out to some people, like can I really get my head around this, that through the power of your spirit, 
would overcome demonic forces who want to make us believe this is not real, we have nothing to worry about, there's no real battle, that the power and the Spirit of God would open our eyes to the things in our lives that have to go, that you may take full possession and that we would be victorious in this ultimate battle against the forces once relegated to the fringes who have now marched in to our culture and our country. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you listen to podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.